You're listening to the news on RTHK. From Monday, non-Hong Kong residents will no longer be able to receive COVID vaccines free of charge in the SAR. It means they must pay to receive vaccinations at private healthcare providers should they wish to get inoculated. The government says this is to ensure Hong Kong residents have priority. Meanwhile, health officials reported more than 9,200 new COVID cases yesterday, of which 292 were imported. 74 more people with COVID have died. The Premier of Victoria, the Australian state where George Pell was born, has ruled out a taxpayer-funded memorial service for the Roman Catholic Cardinal. Daniel Andrews said it would be deeply distressing for abuse survivors. I couldn't think of anything that would be more distressing for victim survivors than that. I think, more importantly, at what will be a very challenging time for victim survivors to send the clearest possible message that we see you, we believe you, we support you, and you're at the centre of not only our thoughts, not only our words, but our actions. Powell was acquitted of molesting two teenage choir boys on appeal, but Premier Andrews said his legacy had been permanently tainted. The US Justice Department has appointed a special counsel to review the classified material from Joe Biden's time as vice president, found at two addresses. Their contents and the level of classification aren't yet known. But the BBC's North America editor, Sarah Smith, says it's an awkward situation for the president. We're expecting President Biden to announce that he wants to run again for president in 2024 in the next few months. This will certainly overshadow that and it could drag on for months and months. And as information leaks out of these investigations, as potentially there is also a congressional inquiry going on at the same time, which would take hearings in public, this is a story that is going to dog President Biden for months, if not years. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Thanks, Barry. Yeah. morning, this is James Ross and it's Friday the 13th. So fingers crossed we get through the day in one piece. In the headlines, US inflation rose at a slower rate again last month. The Consumer Price Index for December showed a 6.5% rise in prices over the last year and a 0.1% decrease over the prior month. On a core basis, stripping out the volatile food and energy components, prices climbed 5.7% year-on-year and 0.3% compared to November. And meanwhile, consumer prices on the mainland rose 1.8% in December, up from a 1.6% increase in November. That due to rising food prices, 4.8% higher in December than a year earlier. Uh, China's core inflation, excluding food and energy, is still subdued, up 0.7% compared with a 0.6% increase the month before. Global PC sales are falling fast after explosive growth at the height of the pandemic. According to research firm Gartner, worldwide PC shipments fell 28.5% in the fourth quarter, the largest fall since they began uh, tracking shipments in the mid-1990s. Nikkei reporting that computer maker Dell is aiming to stop using chips from China by 2024 
and has told suppliers to significantly reduce other made-in-China components, part of efforts to diversify its supply chain amid concerns over continuing U.S.-China tensions. And U.S. President Joe Biden will discuss cooperation on limiting China's access to chip technology in a meeting today in Washington with Japan's leader, uh, Prime Minister Fumio Kishida. Uh, Bloomberg sources say the topic will be part of a broader security discussion between the two. Apple supplier Taiwanese chipmaker TSMC warned yesterday that first quarter revenue would drop as much as 5% and it would slash annual investment as it expects softer demand due to a slowing global economy. Uh, the South China Morning Post reporting that China's ride-hailing giant Didi is to lay off hundreds of employees. That as big tech companies continue their restructuring efforts uh, before the Chinese New Year. Uh, sources say the layoffs follow Didi's decision last month to trim this year's budgets for many departments. Bloomberg reporting that Hong Kong is back in the top five Asia-Pacific property investment destinations for the first time since 2020. Uh, that thanks to an expected pandemic recovery and low pricing. And according to a report by CBRE on real estate investor intentions for 2023, it showed the SAR came in at number five after Tokyo, Singapore, Ho Chi Minh City and Sydney. And Apple could release a touchscreen laptop as soon as 2025, according to a new report from Bloomberg. Her teams at Apple are apparently working on the project. Such a move would mark a reversal for Apple, which has said for years that touchscreen laptops are ergonomically inferior. Well, we'll be joined on the show today by Andrew Ferris, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory, and Carlos Casanova, a, a Senior Asia econo Economist at UBP. And later on, we'll take a view from Australia uh, with Toby Lawson, former Managing Director at Societe Generale. Well, don't forget, if you have any questions for our guests, you can email us at moneytalk uh, at rthk.hk. Text us on 6393-5925. Our Facebook page is Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, and on Twitter. We're at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Well, to the markets and on Wall Street, stocks rose again after that US data showed a moderation in inflation and as markets looked ahead to earnings reports from large banks later today. Uh, several analysts issued reports predicting the Fed would raise interest by uh, interest rates by just a quarter percentage point in February. The Dow finishing up 0.6% at 34,189. Uh, the S&P 500 gaining 0.3% to 3,983. And the Nasdaq up 0.6% at 11,001. American Airlines surging nearly 10% as it lifted earnings projections for the fourth quarter on solid travel demand. Uh, Disney rising 3 after activist shareholder Nelson Peltz announced a proxy campaign to join the board of the company. European stocks closed at their highest since last April as that soft U.S. inflation data helped outweigh concerns about interest rates. The stock 600 up 0.74% at 450.68. The U.K.'s FTSE rising 1% to 7,794. Germany stacks up 0.8% at 15,058 and France's CAC 40 up 0.9% at 6,975. Uh, retail stocks leading gains in Europe up 2%. Hong Kong stocks closed up yesterday as profit-taking offset optimism that China uh, re over the China reopening and traders awaiting the release of that U.S. inflation data which came out overnight. 
The Hang Seng rising 0.4% yesterday to 21,514. The Shanghai Composite up a fraction at 3,163. The Shenzhen Composite also up just one-tenth of 1% to 2,048. Tokyo stocks closing slightly higher, extending their winning streak to five days. The Nikkei 225 ending just a fraction higher at 26,449. Shares in machinery, glass and mining rose the most. To commodities, Brent crude currently up 1.5% at $83.90 a barrel. Uh, Copper up a fraction at $417 a pound. Uh, Spot gold currently standing at $1,897.08 an ounce. In the bond market, Treasury yields slumped also on that inflation data. Uh, The U.S. 10-year bond currently showing a yield of 3.44%. To currencies, currently the euro buying a dollar and eight cents. The U.S. dollar also standing at 129.32 Japanese yen. Uh, the pound buying 9.53 Hong Kong dollars, and the yuan standing at 6.73 against the U.S. dollar. Uh, Bitcoin currently at 18,826 U.S. dollars. Uh, Bitcoin rose nearly 8% overnight to near a two-month high uh, following that December inflation data as sentiment continues to improve in the cryptocurrency market. At its highs overnight, uh, Bitcoin Bitcoin traded over $19,000. That's the highest level since the collapse of FTX. Uh, Looking at the ASX right now, uh, currently trading up 0.73% at 7,333. And looking to uh, Hang Seng Futures, looking like the market will open up about 7 tenths of 1% higher. Okay, let's bring in our guest. First of all, let's say hello and good morning to Carlos Casanova, a senior Asia economist at UBP. Uh, Good morning, Carlos. Good morning. Uh, Nice to have you on the show. Uh, And also let's say hello and uh, good evening to Andrew Ferris, a CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. I think we find you once again in Uruguay, Andrew. Is that right? Absolutely, in Punta del Este. Enjoying every minute of it, working, but also at the same time having a beautiful view out of my window. What else can I tell you? I'm pleased. I miss Hong Kong, but not that badly right now. Okay. I'm pleased to hear that you're enjoying yourself, uh, Andrew. Um, Carlos, uh, let's start with the inflation data uh, from the US uh, overnight. What, what are your thoughts on, on that? We are expecting, in fact, that the uh, growth narrative will take over um, fears about rising inflation in 2023. So the good news is that probably as we um, head into this uh, new year, um, people will stop focusing so much on inflation numbers in the US because that conversation around the economic slowdown will take precedent. <clears throat> now, although we are seeing signs that inflation is declining gradually, we do expect that inflation will remain above target for the entire 2023. So the next leg, I guess, in this journey is at what point the Fed decides to pivot Um, And unfortunately, in our opinion, um, that Fed pivot is going to have to happen with inflation above 2%. Um, So we will be watching out for a shift in narrative around, um, you know, what level of inflation is acceptable over the coming months uh, for cues on when that potential pivot might take place, which, of course, will be very supportive for markets. Andrew, uh, your thoughts? 
Very much so, actually, along the lines of, uh, of Carlos, but with a big, big difference. And that is, I'm looking very carefully at the real interest rates. Now, real interest rates, it's not really an indicator, neither it has an impact unless you're looking at real interest rates over a period of five years or a decade. Right now, however, real interest rates in the States are minus two, minus two. In other words, inflation is about six and a half percent, and the Fed funds are about the four and a half percent mark, which means that if the Fed, which does look sideways at real interest rates, really means business, it means that as inflation coming down, the jaw should be closing around the zero percent level. And that will be, of course, at the time that perhaps something like five percent inflation with Fed funds at around five and a half. In other words, I'm not holding my breath at all, and I do expect that seven and a half, sorry, 75 basis points and even a series of 50 basis points are very much awaiting in line. It, in other words, the, the real aspect of inflation hasn't died. And right now, United States, on a very crude basis, still has a very loose monetary policy. Overnight, Carlos, analysts were saying that, um, you know, the interest rate rise uh, would probably be only be 25 basis points on the 1st of February. Is that something that um, you think uh, is going to happen? I think 25 basis points is a little bit too rosy at this point in time, as Andrew uh, mentioned, the real rate is still negative. So by, um, you know, rational um, measures, the monetary policy in the US is still too accommodative. So we are expecting that they will continue to hike interest rates at 25 basis point intervals, potentially up to 50 to 75 basis points. And then at some point that conversation about pivoting uh, will have to take place because the economy is going to decelerate and perhaps real rates are going to be um, the anchor that the Fed uses to justify their pivot. Um, fair point. Um, but no, we, we think 25 is too, too little, uh, but we are, of course, nearing the end of the cycle and we do expect that uh, the political debate will focus towards growth and away from inflation as things start to cool. Jamie Dimon the other day was saying that interest rates might go up as, uh, as much as uh, 6%. Um, Andrew, is that something that uh, you would uh, see happening? Yeah, one, one very quick comment, actually, listening to what Carlos has to say. What a terrible thing is happening to you. Two economies completely agreeing. Okay, well, there you go. 6%. <laughs> uh, uh, no, remember, I call it the Jones effect. In other words, as interest rates going up and inflation comes down, okay, then, you know, if I, if I look at the trajectory of what's happening right now, the 5.5% could easily happen in the next uh, two to three months. And by that time, we may very well be near the 5 to 5.5 percent, in which case real interest rates are zero. So, you know, Jimmy is saying that interest rates may very well go over 6 percent. I have no idea. I'm simply a simple economist with a compass, a pivot, and a ballpoint pen. And when I draw my lines, I say, well, perhaps in about three months' time, we might see interest rates, real interest rates coming down to near enough zero. Uh, we've talked a bit on this show about interest rates in, uh, in this part of the world, in Japan and uh, in China, uh, being much the other end of the spectrum. Indeed, the, the China inflation uh, numbers overnight uh, saying that the core inflation is 0.7%. Uh, uh, thoughts on that, Carlos? Yes, we, we saw um, a slight increase in inflation. Uh, headline numbers were up to 1.8%. But if you look at the composition of that, a lot of that was still... 
um, food and um, energy prices. Um, so, you know, it's too soon to say that the reopening is starting to cause inflationary pressures in China. And as you've just mentioned, the core inflation, which excludes food and energy prices, was broadly flat at 0.7%, maybe marginally higher than um, a month earlier, which was 0.6%. But that, to me, still means flat. Um, so we, we do expect that reopening uh, will eventually lead to some inflationary pressures. Uh, but bear in mind that um, household savings are very large in China, but China hasn't done the same degree of, measure, of stimulus that other economies have in the past. So no um, fiscal transfers to households, um, no consumption vouchers in China, um, and also the um, savings rate is uh, a reflection of... Um, of poor sentiment as much as it is of uh, pent-up demand. So there's two sides to that, that coin. Um, so we do think that there is going to be a normalization and the recovery in 2023 will be consumption-led, but it might not be the bonanza that some are expecting. So we do ex think that inflation is going to rise in China over the coming months, but it won't be as bad as in other parts of the world. Seems some positivity in the property world. Bloomberg reporting that Hong Kong back in the top five Asia-Pacific property investment destinations for the first time uh, since 2020, still led by uh, Tokyo, Singapore, Ho Chi Minh and, um, and Sydney. Uh, in the broad of you are you seeing Andrew are you seeing uh, you know property you know as being a, an indicator that uh, things you know could be on the right track uh, in this part of the world you know uh, comparisons of where we were and where we are now particularly any comparison that involves Hong Kong and China it is incredibly unfair to everybody because of course uh, if you're comparing what was happening in China and what is happening to Hong Kong now of course Hong Kong looks better yeah but that's a little bit uh, it's, a, it's a little bit it's a little bit unfair no as far as the Fed continues to increase interest rates, Hong Kong has a cloud over it. Again, okay, we have the peg that won't go away, and therefore Hong Kong interest rates, anybody that is asked, they will say they are planning to go up. The question is, is when will the Fed begin to cut? And that's an altogether different proposition. And my feeling is it's not going to start cutting anytime soon till inflation, as Carlos pointed out, is very clearly staying at 2%. And that may very well last for another year. So I will not be buying property on the basis that American interest rates and therefore Hong Kong interest rates are coming down anytime soon. No, they will not. Carlos? I, I think... He I think I, I agree. So Hong, Hong Kong, of course, has You're to agreeing the, again. Goodness <laughs> me, guys. With, with a caveat. With a caveat. Don't, don't, get, don't get excited so soon. Um, I, I, it's true that um, monetary policy will continue to be restrictive. We've seen that LIBOR, HIBOR differential in Hong Kong narrowing. So rates are going up. Uh, repayment costs are increasing and households are feeling it. However, historically, home prices in Hong Kong tend to be less correlated with interest rates. Um, so where I would be concerned, uh, I still think there's some downside uh, in this rally. So I think we're down 20% from the peak. I think there's still a little bit of room to go. Uh, but where I'd be concerned is if we see significant immigration into Hong Kong from mainland China. Remember, we are 7 million people versus 1.4. So it doesn't take a lot of Chinese people moving down to generate some um, housing price inflation. So I think that's where uh, perhaps uh, this uh, correction in housing prices could be cut short. Um, but, um, you know, ma macro factors do point to a, a continued decline in home prices. A lot of talk about chips and computers, um, you know, things being down a bit in, in that market. Um, TSMC uh, reporting that revenue would drop as much as 5% uh, in the first quarter. Um, uh, uh, shipments of PCs down 28.5% in the fourth quarter. Uh, big tech taking it hard at the moment, Andrew? 
Well, it's, you know, it doesn't take a Nobel Prize winner, and most definitely I'm not one of those, to point out that the, the decreasing demand of PCs was more or less natural once the COVID effectively, and uh, I mean, it's going to be very poor word, very poor choice of words out, died out. Yeah, of course, at the time, you know, during the two years of uh, 20 to 22, when uh, the close down meant a huge emphasis on intercommunicability and interconnection, okay, PCs were booming. Well, now, not anymore. It's very simple. Mm, mm. Carlos? Um, with uh, rising risks of recession in developed markets, um, led by Europe, of course, which is also an important consumption center for these types of things, um, and the U.S., it's just natural that there's going to be a decline in uh, demand for these types of consumer goods. And to that, you have to overlay a uh, base effect with there being so like demand being so high during COVID. So naturally, we are going to see a normalization in that area. I know we've heard uh, Andrew's view on the year ahead uh, in past shows, but Carlos, uh, looking positive overall for you for 2023? Mm -hmm. We do expect uh, 2023 to be a bit of a mixed bag. So we will see recession in developed markets and we will see our performance in emerging markets. Um, within emerging markets, we think that Asia will emerge as a bright spot, so that's the, the silver lining. Um, still mm. volatile, challenging 2023 with uncertainty around the Fed. But of course, for us in Asia, it should be positive because we do expect that the China reopening narrative will fuel um, both tourism revenues and uh, real demand coming out of China. So hopefully at 4.2%, significantly above that 2.3% for the world average, uh, we should see a return of inflows into Asian equity asset, uh, equities and bonds, which should be uh, good news for us in the region. Carlos Casanova is a senior Asia economist at UBP and joining him, Andrew Ferris, a CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Thank you to both of you guys. It is now 24 minutes past uh, 8 o'clock. This is Money Talk uh, with James Ross. Uh, back chat in about six or seven minutes' time. But before that, we're going to take our view uh, from Australia and we're going to cross to uh, Toby Lawson, who is the former managing director at Societe Generale in Sydney. Uh, Toby, uh, good morning. Uh, How is it looking in Australia uh, so far today? Yeah, good morning, James. Uh, very happy New Year to you and your listeners. Uh, markets looking positive today. Start of the year in pretty good shape uh, if you're an equity investor. Hmm. So um, some level of optimism, but um, I'm sure as the program you've had to date, uh, plenty of things to watch out in the horizon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've been talking quite a lot about um, U.S. inflation uh, today on Money Talk with those numbers coming out um, overnight. Um, let's talk a bit about inflation in Australia. We've not heard so much about that recently. What's, what's the situation at the moment? Yeah, interestingly, we just had the November CPI figures, which was a month-to-month -month view, and it was actually a spike back up. Uh, from a 6.9 uh, in October to 7.3, which suggests that inflation hasn't quite peaked in Australia and some of those dynamics are different to what you've seen in the US. Um, it has slowed, I think, but whether it's peaked or not is a, is a question. So 7.3 is still too high, I guess, for the RBA, RBA to be comfortable and we can expect in February 7th when they next meet for the first time this year that they'll raise rates again by 25 from 3.1 to sort of three and, three and a third. Uh, with possible moves up towards 375, 4% over the year. So inflation is still an issue here um, and yet to really feel that there's a peak there. Um, How is that affecting things like housing? So housing market, uh, in terms of prices of property, they've dropped quite substantially uh, year to year, and th but that's coming off a very strong 
pandemic, uh, you know, low interest rate uh, fueled rally. So that's not surprising. But interestingly, rents and building costs are up. So 9.6 uh, over the year to November uh, would suggest that uh, uh, in terms of a housing sector, it's still very tight in terms of access for rentals. But uh, the actual value of capital pricing on properties has declined and will probably be soft for the first part of this year for sure. What, what do you feel the sentiment on the street is at the moment, uh, generally among Australian uh, consumers? In a sense, there's uh, somewhat of a denial, I would have thought, with the way consumers spent up big in uh, consumer discretionary travel, leisure over the course of the Christmas period. Now, part of that was pent-up demand of probably having a first free Christmas, for want of a better expression, this year than they've had. So I guess somewhat denial of what's maybe coming down the pipe um, and that sentiment probably will start to soften uh, in the first quarter as we start to see potentially um, some of the economic data slow. Um, the other factor that's probably keeping people reasonably optimistic in Australia is the employment uh, sector is still very tight, labour market's tight, wages are still holding. So in that sense, people have yet to really feel the pain mm. of inflation apart from what they're coming out of their pocket in terms of higher prices. I mean, one thing we notice looking uh, to Australia from this part of the world is that the uh, Australian summer holidays seem to go on and on and on. You know, three to four weeks seems to be the norm, um, you know, leaving for holidays at least a week before Christmas and maybe not even coming back until even, you know, uh, next week. Um, is, is, as you said, um, that an indication of some kind of denial? Look, I, I think that if you look at the housing sector, the mortgage stress numbers are, are rising, but it hasn't reached a, a point of dislocation that's hit the sort of zeitgeist of the local uh, market. So people still feel, I think, relatively comfortable because of such built-up equity performance in their house over the last few years. So there will be dislocation, there will be job losses and some softening in some sectors, but overall it's not necessarily being felt uh, at least um, up front and centre. And that, I think, is peculiar but it also reflects probably some of the dynamic structural dynamics in Australia. It's still an economy that does benefit enormously from uh, capacity uh, and upside. And also, I think on the trade side, uh, despite the uh, softening import data that we've seen, which is to be expected, our exports are performing well, even if commodity prices are lower than where they were. We've not heard so much about um, uh, ructions in uh, Australian politics in the last few months. Does that mean that with the relatively new government, things have settled down a bit? Yeah, I think the new government have done pretty well over the course of the year. They've, they've stabilised some of the sentiment. Uh, they haven't been, they've been constructive without being too aggressive in terms of reform. I think they've uh, understood, I think, the sentiment within the broader community not to be too aggressive in reform. But at the same time, they're moving in the direction of trying to protect the consumer to the extent of energy prices with a cap on gas, um, some industrial relations reform. But generally, they've been very methodical and uh, fairly transparent and I think well received on the whole. Um, and in terms of their relationship externally, which is always an interesting one, James, with China, that seems to also be in a somewhat more positive picture than what we've had over the last couple of years. Oh, well, looking optimistic. I know you're a big sports fan, Toby. Things uh, over the weekend planned? Is it looking like a, a good sporting weekend? We've just had, James, a nice uh, cricket series against uh, uh, South Africa where we comfortably won that 2 nils, and it's always good to beat the South Africans in cricket because they're very good. And now we're excited because the Australian cricket team had one heading to India for four tests and 
some short-form games, which will be a massive series. And then we're off to uh, the big one, the Ashes mid-year. So cricket is still very much in the forefront of our thinking and uh, we'll be watching all of that uh, unfold over the coming months. Well, hopefully a positive year for uh, uh, for the cricketers. Uh, Toby Lawson, former Managing Director at Society Generale uh, in Sydney, with our view from Australia. And also thank you very much to our guests, Andrew Ferris, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory, and Carlos Casanova, Senior Asia Econo- Economist at UBP. Let's take a quick look at the markets. Uh, currently, the Nikkei 225 is down 0.6% at 26,290. Uh, the S&P AS- SX200 uh, up 1% at 7,350. The Kospi up 6 tenths to 1% at 2,380. Hang Seng futures look towards the market opening about uh, 7 tenths of 1% uh, higher. Uh, looking at the weather, mainly cloudy and foggy, one or two rain patches at first. The maximum temperature around 23 degrees today. Light to moderate southeasterly winds. Uh, the outlook warm and foggy with sunny periods. 20 Celsius, 96% relative humidity. I hope you can join me tomorrow night from 10 past 6 for the greatest hits of music. Back chat with Andrew and Yuki is next. That's after the news. And with the news headlines, here's Barry. An investigation by the MTR into a partial train derailment last year has found that serious corrosion in certain nuts and bolts of a metal barrier caused it to dislodge. Several doors were ripped off a carriage as the train pulled into Yaomate Station in November, disrupting train services on the Chunwan line that day. Frank Young has the details. According to detailed findings of the investigation panel, the metal barrier that the train hit was displaced due to seriously corroded mounting bolts and nuts at the structure's base frames on the ground and the tunnel wall. The probe also found that a public announcement following the accident failed to let passengers know where they should exit the train. In response, the railway company vowed to implement the recommendations by the panel. Its operations director Tony Lee said that, in the wake of the recent incident, the corporation is upgrading or replacing all 57 metallic protection barriers of similar nature and conducting specific maintenance on the barriers. Staying local from Monday, non-Hong Kong residents will no longer be able to receive COVID vaccines free of charge in the SAR. It means they must pay to receive vaccinations at private healthcare providers should they wish to get inoculated. The government says this is to ensure Hong Kong residents have priority. Meanwhile, health officials reported more than 9,200 COVID cases yesterday, of which 292 were imported. 74 more people with COVID have died. The head of Israel's Supreme Court has accused the country's new government of launching an unrestrained attack on the justice system. The BBC's Sebastian Usher reports. The response by Chief Justice Esther Hayut to a radical overhaul of a justice system proposed by Benjamin Netanyahu and his religious nationalist coalition partners has been ferocious. She condemned it as a plan not to fix the system but to crush it. She said it would change the democratic identity of Israel beyond recognition. The proposed reform would limit the High Court's ability to provide a counterweight to moves by the government while giving politicians a greater say in selecting judges. The Justice Minister, Yariv Levine, has accused Ms Hyatt of not being neutral and siding with the opposition. A film foundation in Saudi Arabia has announced that it is co-producing a French film starring Johnny Depp as King Louis XV. The Red Sea Film Foundation said that its first international co-production with France would be the period drama Jean du Barry, written and starring the French actress and filmmaker Mai Wen. 
The US Justice Department has appointed a special counsel to review the classified material from Joe Biden's time as vice president, found at two addresses. Their contents and the level of classification aren't yet known. But the BBC's North America editor, Sarah Smith, says it's an awkward situation for the president. We're expecting President Biden to announce that he wants to run again for president in 2024 in the next few months. This will certainly overshadow that and it could drag on for months and months. And as information leaks out of these investigations, as potentially there is also a congressional inquiry going on at the same time, which would take hearings in public, this is a story that is going to dog President Biden for months, if not years. The head of one of the world's biggest oil companies has been named as president of this year's UN Climate Summit, hosted by the United Arab Emirates. Sultan Ahmed Al-Jaber, who heads Abu Dhabi's national oil company, is the Emirates Climate Envoy. Harjit Singh, a senior advisor to the campaign group Climate Action Network International, says the appointment is unsuitable. We are outraged and it is deeply disturbing to say the least. Clearly, he's going to promote the interest of fossil fuel industry, and that will undermine the outcomes of COP28 